Every day at America's Card Room, players just like you are scoring big in record time with Jackpot Poker. Jackpot Poker is a super fast three-player online poker set and go. You pick the buy-in, and after all three players are seated, we randomly pick the jackpot. Yep, just three players. No more, no less. And for most jackpot poker tournaments, it's winner take all. Imagine turning a $40 buy-in into the ultimate $100,000 game of poker. Anything could happen with jackpot poker. Play it now at America's Card Room. Okay, welcome to Ask Alex, episode 77, sponsored by americascardroom.com. If you want 27% rate back from americascardroom.com, Sign up for your account using any one of the adverts or banners on the oneouter.com website. Follow us on Twitter at oneouter.com and join the Facebook group, facebook.com slash group slash oneouter. This episode and all other previous episodes are on oneouter.com website for free and also via iTunes. Just search One Outer Podcast. If you want to send questions in for Alex on a future show, then email them to questions at oneouter.com or tweet or Facebook them. Alex, how are you today? I'm good, man. I'm good. Uh, I always want to say better than I deserve, despite how cheesy of an answer that is. But like, <laughs> life, life is good, man. Can't complain. Yeah, we agreed you'd drop that a few episodes. <laughs> <laughs> we agreed. <laughs> there was a meeting. Uh, <laughs> I don't know if you got it, but there was a memo sent around. But yeah, we agreed you'd drop that. <laughs> okay. uh, Anyway, um, so what's been happening in the Alex sphere? Um, how's the poker ring going, playing wise, and uh, coaching, and any good movies you watched recently or anything? And what's going on? Man, that's a that's a lot to cover. Uh, you know, the battle came out, so I'm trying to promote that, and I'm uh, uh, yeah, you know, I've been playing a lot on Twitch. Uh, I mean, for a lot of reasons, a lot of people come off the Twitch and then. You know, they check out the other things we got going on, so I've been doing that. I, t- I took second in the 7.5K uh, yesterday on PokerStar, so that was pretty cool. Hey, mostly just because for a few days I kept getting deep and everything, and then, you know, not really uh, not really delivering. Uh, I, got, I got to the final two tables of the Sunday Second Chance, and uh, I did a bluff that works on 9 out of 10 people. Unfortunately, Dominic Nietzsche is not 9 out of 10 people. So I, uh, I posted an article, if you guys want to check it out, on Poker Ed Rush, uh, kind of discussing that bluff. Uh, it, it was uh, – uh, poker players are so funny, by the way. So, like, when I posted, you know, like, Social Media 101 uh, you're suppo- – you're, you're supposed to, like, link whoever you reference in the – article right so i'm like here's the hand where i try to bluff dominic nietzsche right and then uh he goes like it, the response back is yeah i thought you had something like that right <laughs> and I'm, like, <laughs> I'm like okay you won <laughs> you know what i mean and then uh people and then people are like what do you have dominic and he goes i will say that i did not have a set right which is the best hand on the board and it was like i i, I was about to be like okay this is poker player to translate to translate for a poker player, this is I have a set, and I want you to think I'm really sick, right? Like, I'm, if I'm really translating for a poker player here, obviously Dominic Nietzsche is not everyone, but I just, I wanted to tease him back, like, ooh, check you out. Oh, you sicko. Like, but it's just so funny, because, like, if anybody ever, I don't know, poker poker players are so funny, you know what I mean? They're just, they they... 
they always kind of want to get that extra quip in, and I've never really understood that, because, like, if I beat the guy, I'm always, in a weird way, I'm kind of embarrassed. It's kind of, you know, because in my mind, it's like, who am I to, like, like knock these people around, you know what mm. I mean? Like, and then, e- even though at the table, like, I'm, it's really weird, because, like, at the table, I really do not like losing, like, at all. But then afterward, I realize it's, you know, it's kind of a game, but I forget, like, with most poker players, that that's pretty much it, man. That's their whole mode, you know what I mean? They they kind of have yeah. to be like that all the time. And, you know, I re- Dominic Nietzsche is a far better player than I am, by the way. So, you know, I'm always trying to pay attention to what he says. So, um, any any films you've been watching? Forget the poker. Yeah, you forget know, the any, poker. Any movies? <laughs> uh, you know, I watched that, what was it, that Tom Hanks film, Bridge of Spies. That was... Uh, oh, yeah. That, I didn't really fancy that. I didn't you didn't. Really. You didn't. Fa- you didn't fancy it. You liked it. You didn't like it. I, I've not watched it. I just. I yeah, saw no the trailer. Pro- I mean, I didn't. I. I, I just didn't. I was like, nah. It's because you're uh, a damn commie. You know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah nah. Well, it was like I was wondering. I, I was like, you know, I was watching the movie. It's a very good movie, right? But it's very standard, like Spielberg esque stuff. And I was like, why was this such a failure at the box office? This is. Steven Spielberg's, like, worst-performing movie since Munich, right? And yeah. I, I really think just the way with the the way the tide is going in America, people just don't want to be reminded of what happened the last time there was some economic redistribution <laughs> in yeah. parts of the world, you know what I mean? And then, uh, you know, they don't want to... There's a scene where they're in Western Germany, and the guy's just ordering a huge breakfast. Then he goes to, you know, he goes to East Germany, and there's, like, a pack of kids, like, trying to rob him for his coat right i, th- I think t- uh, i think people in my country these days they see that and they go you know i don't think it was that bad and it's like oh yeah. yeah oh yes it was you know and then uh but it's just weird to me how i don't know there's a lot of stuff like history wise people just really do not want to hear in the yeah. states anymore you know because i was watching this i was like this is a fine movie right and so it's very entertaining tom hanks is excellent in it the, you would enjoy Barry because he, Tom Hanks's character has to negotiate between uh, East Germany, which wants to be recognized by the United States, Russia, who doesn't know if their guy, you know, has given up any information, and uh-huh. he he's the guy's made a uh, the guy the guy's started uh, liking the guy uh, that he's trying to negotiate the swap with. Right, because the guy never gave up information. He's just like a good guy, right? So he's got to figure out a way to like get this guy to Russia, get his guy back from Russia, get a kid back from East Germany, and in the meantime, not the guy, get the guy he's shipping over to Russia killed by implying that he gave away information. Because once they think he gave away information, they're not gonna, uh, they're not gonna trade for him, right? So mm-hmm. in just the way he works it is just masterful, right? Like, it's really cool. And obviously, I'm sure a lot of this is embellishment, but as somebody who just wants to be entertained, it was it was really cool. It was a oh, what, fun I'll watch movie. it. I'll watch it now. What you, it, what you've, it, sold, what have, you've sold it better than the trailer. Uh, <laughs> thank you. What, what have you seen lately? Uh, I, I saw The Revenant. Ah, uh, yeah. I saw that. Overrated, yeah. huh? Overrated. Really overrated. overrated. I, I mean, like, really they, reviewers just can't get off of Leonardo DiCaprio's certain body part. It's, yeah. uh, I, I I think it's such an amazing movie because Leonardo DiCaprio shuts up for an hour and 20 minutes. I, 
you know, you know like I, I was worried the whole time he was going to open up his mouth and, you know, start telling me about saving the environment from his private jet, you know, <laughs> but yeah, it was a, it, it was fine. I, I saw it in the movie theater. It's weird to me because that stuff is like so beautiful to like, uh, that that stuff is so beautiful to a lot of people, right? And uh, like all the scenery in that movie. And hey, actually, this is weird. I had a dream about Alaska last night, and like uh, I I was like really walking around La- Alaska. It was like a really pleasurable dream, right? And it was uh, uh, yeah. But like just you know having my family be from Alaska, having worked there, having visited there, uh, like that that. That scenery you see in that movie is like a Tuesday there, you know what I mean? You see yeah. a lot of that stuff. So I was kind of sitting there like, all right, yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. moving along. <laughs> like, but, <laughs> but yeah, no, you did, you dug it, but overrated. No I, I, no, I just thought it was like one of these films that's created purely for the Oscar season or something. It's right. like a huge, vast landscape, scenery, cinematography, and then... Yeah, you know, like, oh, this is a really hard story, hard lives, and, yeah. like, a sort of, I don't know, you know, like, sort of the way Dancing with Wolves, like, far too long as well, yeah, like, three exactly. hours, whatever, like, you know, you could have shaved that hour off it and did the same, you know, had a more <laughs> fast-paced film. I, I think the bear toys with him for a good 20 minutes, it, yeah, yeah. Out, you know, I was like, all right, and it was like, yeah. by the way, I've heard it, okay, I'm from Kodiak, I was born in Kodiak, Alaska, that's where a lot of my family's from. Kodiak is the home of the biggest grizzly bear on earth, right? Uh, I know how grizzly bear attacks go. They don't play with you and then, you know, go touch base with their kids and come back. If you're dead, you're dead. Like, that's it. Like, so I was watching that and I was like, you know, and it, I just hate this CGI crap. Like, I just, it, I, I like, at no point do I think this is a bear. I'm like, oh, sweet. Now we're going to stop our sweeping Oscar season movie to watch Leonardo DiCaprio fight with a cartoon. Like, this uh-huh. is going to be amazing. It, actually, and this brings up a movie that everybody should see. Everybody should see Creed. Have you seen Creed? No, I've not seen that yet. D- no. Dude, it's the best Rocky movie. It is right. incredible. Like, there's a scene in that movie. It made me feel like a kid again, right? Mm-hmm. Because it was... There's a scene in that movie where they do a fight scene and it's one shot for, I, I think it's a couple rounds of the fight, right? Uh-huh. And the the camera gets around to Sylvester Stallone at all the right times. It catches all the right shots. And it, in a weird way, looks a lot like a boxing match. It's somewhere between, you know, like Hollywood. Like, it, they got to dress it up a bit because, let's be honest, yeah. like, real boxing's boring as hell. And, uh... Uh, this is from someone who boxed for years, so I, I can say it's, I hated the sport, I hated the culture, I hated everything about it when I got into it. And uh, yeah, but like, it, it's like it's somewhere between the Hollywood, like we got to make this a fight and like actual boxing that looks really good. And you're sitting there going, "How the hell did they do that?" Right? Yeah. Like how it made you feel like a kid, right? You just didn't know how things were done, and it was just like how could you do this right? And the crowd is perfect. And uh, Sylvester Stallone yelling from the sidelines uh, at yelling from the corner is perfect. And uh, Michael B. Jordan just turns in a virtuoso performance. It's uh, <clears throat> that is a fantastic movie. I really should have talked about that movie more than anything. It's a, it's a good life lesson too, because at the beginning he's real cocky, the fighter, right? And then he like, you know, he moves away from mommy who's got a little money. He 
moves into the hood. He humbles himself. He goes in like he wants, uh, you know, he wants Rocky to train him, but Rocky's not into it. So he just shows up at Rocky's restaurant. and He starts like helping him unpack supplies and help helps him. Right. He goes to a gym and he does like the dead basic workouts that nobody, you know, like the trainer is not really helping him. But he's like, I'll uh-huh. come in and I'll do anything and I'll sweep up around here. And then, uh-huh. yeah, you know, he makes a family with uh so it, he, it seems like he looks like it looks like they make a family, right? Like him and his girl there, and then Sylvester Stallone. It like crosses racial lines and like age barriers and stuff like that. And it was like I was like, man, this is just a good American movie. This is the kind of yeah. American movies I saw when I was a kid, right? You know. And the cool thing about Rocky movies is you never know if they're gonna win at the end, you know, because they've yeah, it, which. Like, when I saw The Dark Knight, everybody said this is an amazing movie. I was like, a lot of the scenes of that movie are not tense. Like, mm-hmm. when there's the two boats going and they have the... <clears throat> there's two boats going across the river in Gotham or whatever it is, and they uh, it, they both have the ability to blow up the other one. And if they blow mm-hmm. up the other one, they're safe, right? And I was like, I was sitting there for 20 minutes going, there's no chance either of them blows up the other, right? Because this is a PG-13 movie, and all superhero movies suck, and there's no <laughs> chance, right? And sure, you know, uh, it, well, okay, I spoiled it. But if you, if I spoiled a seven-year-old movie or whatever it is, I apologize. But no, I mean, it, this is why Korean movies are amazing. They'll kill the main character 30 minutes in, and you'll be like, what the hell? Like, yeah. you know, <laughs> what, what was that? Like, but yeah, any, anyway, all right. I've gone on a little bit about movies. Yeah. So check check out Creed anyway. I, I will I will watch that. I forgot that was out just now. Oh, it's good, I'm actually I'm, I'm going to see Goosebumps with my nephew tomorrow. Oh, there's a so, uh... Goosebumps movie. Is it... Yeah, yeah. I... Jack Black's in it and uh, like some other always, you know. I always wonder CGI monsters. I always wonder what the hell they're thinking when they release a movie like this because like all the people who read Goosebumps. Well, we're all in our late 20s now, right? You know, and early... Th- and I don't think a lot of us are going to go see the movie. And, like, kids don't know what goosebumps are. You yeah. know what I mean? Like, this is like when they release movies about the Smurfs. I'm like, huh? I'm like, yeah. do, do I really want to go see a two-hour version of the Smurfs? And I grew up with the Smurfs, right? Actually, I don't even know if I did. My parents barely did. Like, who's going to see this? But, <laughs> yeah, anyway. But, you know, and by the way, yeah, when you're checking out the billion dollar generating creed if you could also kindly go check out the battle that would be great the battle with 1600 <laughs> views or whatever it is right now we got a lot of complaints on that battle that the real battle rap fans really love it but like casual fans are like there's not enough jokes and you guys are doing schemes about building houses in the bible and crap and i was like oh yeah good point by the way have you seen it yet barry no, I've not. I've not watched it yet. Yeah. I told you that. That's like two weeks now. But in fairness, I, I have my granny's in the hospital just now, and I'm going to oh, use her. Saying I've been going to see her, and you know, yeah, uh, yeah. I forgot. One thing leads to another, and yeah. you know, I, I've been watching The Revenant and stuff. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I will watch it. I, I, I was what? Do you know what? I was waiting on it coming out. I was like, oh, when? And I even said to Alex, like, oh, yeah. when's the battle coming out and stuff? And now it's out. I'm like, nah. No, it's announced it. You should show it to your grandma. I heard it's good for your health. But yeah, 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 you can, you can share will, it with her. I promise for next podcast I will watch that. I'm sure I'll have plenty to say on it. That's okay. That's okay. But my mom like 
my mom would ask every day about my first battle. And then when it came out, she like, you know, didn't, <laughs> she was like, yeah, whatever. You know, she watched it for four minutes. She was like, cool. I think it's one of those, you know, you don't want to see your son, like, you know, get called all these different names. Right. So she watched like my round one and was just like done with it. But yeah. Okay. Anyway, let's get into quick poker questions. Okay. And uh, first question is from, Riyard, uh, he's messaged him before, so we're going to go with that, Riyard. Uh, hi guys, uh, Alex, recently I have noticed that majority of top players on Pocket Files rankings are Swedish. Do you think that they are just incredibly great poker nation, or maybe they have figured out some new poker secret you don't yet know about? Pretty silly question, I know. Best wishes. <laughs> Nine. Two bucks says you're Swedish, by the way. You want me to say something amazing about... No, I mean, uh, uh, there's... Uh, well, I let me... It, it, my problem is I don't work with a lot of Swedish players because they're kind of insular. And uh, it, it, it's really interesting because, like, normally the countries that speak English really want to get training from me. But uh, I, I really have had... A really uh, more than any other part of the world, I've had a really hard time getting students from Scandinavia, which is pretty bizarre because you know their their economy is really robust. They speak wonderful English. Yeah. Uh, uh, I I I think a lot of it is just variance as to who's in the top ten at any one one point in time. But uh, something about Swedish. Uh, so, something about Swedish players that I've always really admired is uh, it just it, it, there. There's a bit more of a calm. Uh, it, not not. I think just Scandinavian culture isn't so. It doesn't prize the individual as much as say yeah. American culture. And I I'm a big believer in low self-esteem because I've gotten pretty far with it. Right. And like, if you ever hear me like bragging, that's just usually me joking or me trying to frustrate people that, you know, really get pissed off when I do stuff like that. I, uh, I don't know, like I, I, I still to this day, I'm like, dang, isn't this amazing? Right. And, uh, the, I, I think a lot of them, when I've talked to them, they, they kind of have a, it, it's a coupling of like that German, you know, like, uh, if you're going to do something, do it right. Stud, study it. It, there's a real appreciation for education in the culture. There's a real de-emphasis of the inv individual. Mm. And so really you just focus on the craft. Uh, I've noticed a lot of the Scandinavians do that. And uh, it, it, it does seem to be changing all over the world. Like more people are frankly becoming more narcissistic, but it seems to not, uh, doesn't seem to penetrate that culture as much. My My other theory has also been because, uh, I, I remember when I was a kid, uh, uh, there was just a, I, I, I've now re realized this was largely, I don't, it, there, because people say, you know, like the rich get richer and the poor get poorer in America, right? And I really believed that as a kid because it was just every time I needed a break, it just didn't come to me. And it, it, it didn't, uh, it, I was always working garbage jobs and, you know, and like I would show, you know, I would work a shift till 10 p.m., I would come mm -hmm. home and I'd try to do my homework till 2 a.m. and I'd wake up at 5.30 in the morning to go back to school and do it again, right? And, you know, it's really hard to outperform someone 
uh, when you're doing that stuff and you're trying to like support yourself, your family and all that. And, uh, they, they were, and you know, I just remember teachers being wholly unsympathetic, right? Like, mm-hmm. uh, like, Hey, I need to make up this test, right? Because I was, I finally worked myself into exhaustion and I, I crapped out one day. Right. And they were like, uh, well, you need to come in at six on this day. I'm like, I, 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 I can't, you know, I can't trade shifts. I'm sorry. Uh, and it, like, is there any way? And then, and then they would, you know, guffaw at the fact I had a job or the fact I would think, you know, keeping my job was more important than, mm-hmm. uh, going to school. And there's a, and I remember like when I got to poker, it was like, this is something nobody else controls, right? This is incredible. Nobody controls this, right? Everything else is controlled by the government in some way or, you know, some bureaucracy that, I mean, really, this is interesting. Like, what is the difference between totalitarianism and bureaucracy is really nothing. You know what I mean? It, it just bureaucracy for some reason is much uh, less, is much more innocuous to most people. But, like, I've always wondered if Swedish players, you, you, I, I get the idea it's, you know, Sweden's, it, it, it's kind of like, well, there's free college, but you have to study what we want, right? Mm-hmm. Like, if you want to get a degree in this, this, or this, it, maybe we're not so into that. And maybe, you know, <clears throat> maybe what people keep doing the, because I, I got a whole lot of, like, the lower class loves in America to, you know, criticize anyone who's trying in so, in like this big cosmic joke. Uh, if you're trying, they like mock you. That scene is like not cool. Right. So, and I've always, you know, I've always noticed with Scandin- Scandinavia, it's kind of like, who are you to think you could do this? Right. It's been a lot of what I've understood from their culture. Right. It's like, who do you think? Why do you think you're special? And then, when you go and play poker, it doesn't really matter. You have to be the, this person that uh, maybe you're not allowed to be in normal life. And I, that was insanely attractive to me in the States. But I, I think in a lot of parts of the States, you know, people already are told they're special and told they can be an individual and told they can change their situation. Poker doesn't have much of an attraction. If things are more regimented in Sweden and, you know, you're not allowed to, you know, I, 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 I guess, you know, if people give you a hard time about really trying to break out of uh, really trying to break the mold or something, poker really allows you to break the mold. It really allows you to create your own destiny. And I imagine that's really attractive to them. And then when you couple that with uh, uh, with them being far less narcissistic as a people, more educated, uh, it, they uh, they get exposure to different uh, markets. You know, there's the European market. They can speak in Swedish amongst themselves and get those ideas, but they usually speak very good English and they can check out everything else. I, I, I think that's a very well-educated populace. And, uh, yeah, I, I also think, you know, when a country is well off, you have more time to explore the things you want. And uh, Sweden has a very robust economy, so that makes a lot of sense. It's a, I just hope they don't pay taxes on, well, I mean, I, I always kind of make fun of them, you know, because they always go, you know what your country needs, free college. I'm like, do you pay taxes in your country? And it's like, you know, you know, wah, wah, wah. like, no, <laughs> you know, nobody says anything after that, right? Because it's like yeah. 60% taxes or whatever. But like, you know, like I, 
there's also sometimes in those countries there's like a loophole where it, or it's not really a loophole but they say you know like gambling winnings are not taxable because the money was already taxed right and uh it, there's uh it, that that really provides a huge incentive for people to get good because uh pretty much every uh, I, I I I don't know about Sweden but I remember my friend in Denmark telling me he got taxed I think it was like 65% and then he Opened the newspaper and it said Coca-Cola pays zero percent tax for the fourth year in a row in Denmark, and he was a you know like damn it, like, yeah. you know. But when he played poker, there was some loophole that allowed him to like keep the money. So he you know that's super motivating, especially. Yeah, well, it's, it's like in the UK, <laughs> like poker winnings are considered gambling, so it's tax free. God. <laughs> I hate you all. Yeah. Well, then the, the best part about like uh, the United States tax code is. There was like one year I lost like three hundred thousand dollars, right? And then the next year I made like ninety, right? So over the two years I'm negative two hundred and ten, right? Yeah. And then uh, to the IRS I gotta pay taxes on the ninety, right? And I'm yeah. like, wow, this is this is great, guys. Like I'm gonna go right back to the poorhouse and never pay you guys again, right? Or whatever the numbers were, it was pretty bad, right? It was something like that. Yeah. And then yeah, but. Well, you know, it's disgusting. Really. Yeah, well, with Bernie Sanders, we might all be paying eighty-five percent here soon. So, <laughs> anyway, we'll see how that. I goes. think it's time. I think it's time you gave up your U.S. citizenship and yeah. just stayed in I saw, Costa Rica. I, I, I saw something where it's like, if you want to give, if you want to denounce your citizenship, you have to pay four hundred dollars at the embassy, which I always find hilarious. Right? It's like, no, I, I don't think you understand. I no yeah. longer serve you. Therefore, I don't yeah. pay you anything. <laughs> they want to. Squeeze you the last four hundred. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, it gets better, dude. And it was like, well, on your way out the door, they hand you a piece of paper that says, "We still consider you liable for U.S. taxes for ten years," <laughs> right? And then it's like, which is essentially them saying you're their property, right? And yeah. then if you want to no longer pay taxes, you have to pay an exit tax of two million dollars, right? You know, just two mil, just just two mil, right? Yeah, no, I mean. I, I I pay my taxes in the states because I like grew up on the system and on food stamps and like I didn't I didn't have a gown for my graduation and they like you know they they did that and they would you know you know they got me one of those they got they, there was definitely <clears throat> good parts about growing up in the states but God I don't uh, it really bugs me like the new political curve because they're like all college should be free and I'm like guys let me explain something to you there's no such thing as free college. Somebody's going to pay for it. Now, when I was 18 years old, I had a decision. I could either have gotten student loans and gotten into huge debt and gone to school, or I could go start working. And I knew I wasn't really prepared for school, so I went and started working. You had the same decision. You had the. It's not like they lied to you when they took the student loans. You saw the exact interest rate. You saw yeah. exactly how much it was going to be, and you made that deal. And part of being an adult is when you make a deal, you honor it. Okay, you do not go whining to big daddy government to go for you know for debt forgiveness for your college education because you got a degree in uh, transgendered native studies, and you now think <laughs> this is you you now think this is for some reason the government's responsibility to take care of. No, I'm sorry. That's not how it works. And these were the same people that looked down on my friends. Like I remember my friend was an electrician 
you know, he went to study to be an electrician. Another friend went to be a dentist assistant. I went and worked as a commercial fisherman and security guard. And I remember my friends and myself, quite frankly, like trying to date and like, you know, girls would just be like, God, you're a loser. Right. And then like guys, you know, like people, there was a real class system in the States. Right. And it was just, you know, you would, you would take a girl out and she'd be having a good time and everything would be cool. And then, you know, it'd be like, what are you doing right now? And it'd be like, well, right now I'm cleaning carpets, right? But I, I'm saving up to go to college next year, right? So I'm working a lot of double shifts. You know, I, I'm eating a lot of rice and beans and like lean, lean meats. You know, I'm trying to save up. And they'd be like, you know, like, who the hell are you? What a loser, right? <laughs> and then it was like, and it's like, you don't have a car? No, I don't have a car because I can save the car payment every month and I can save up to go to school, right? But they were like, no, 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 my, you know. My my mom and dad can get me into college, and like mom and dad yeah. was just getting a student loan. You knew this, right? You knew this, yeah. and it's like you want to come back around ten years later. Now that you realize your degree is worthless, you're gonna hire a politician. I love this logic. It is so hard for people with four year degrees to get a job. Let's get everybody a four year degree. It's like I don't think you understand how the economy works. Like, that's not how supply and demand works. If you have too much of a supply and too little a demand, you need to increase the demand or decrease the supply. You do not increase the supply. Any economist could tell you how stupid this is, right? And then, yeah, it, it just, it bugs me because these are the same people that look down on my friend. And to be, to be frank, most of my friends are still working jobs like this, right? And they do pretty good. Like, you know, they, uh, I, I don't know what you call it when you, like do the windows like they i have one friend that does like glass panes right and he does really good at that another guy does like tiling another guy's electrician you know and they're doing good you know they're they're doing right you know they work a lot and they make a lot more money because every dumbass got a four-year degree and there were no electricians right mm. and they kind of i remember a few of them seeing that from the gate right they were like well everybody's going to school you know they're going to need an electrician at some point who are they going to call right and they you know, and now, you know, they would look down their noses on the working class a lot of the time, and now they want the working class to pay for their mistakes. And I, I just, I think that's ridiculous, right? And I'm not yeah. like a totally like anti-liberal person, right? I do, you know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of things about the Republican Party that drives me nuts. Uh, they're staunch defense of a lot of the things that I think are super backward. But like, I, this to me is not liberal. This is uh, this is socialism. That's that's very different. Like if you went up to JFK and you explained this to him, I'm pretty sure he would have spit in your face. Like I, this is completely different than the liberalism of my uh, of my mother mother's generation. Yeah. Anyway, sorry, I'm going off. Uh, yeah, it's all right because this next question is going to pull you right back into the depths of coke analysis. <laughs> oh God! Uh, it's from our good friend Aaron Lapoire. <laughs> Le Le Pong. Uh, hey guys, love the podcast still. LOL. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I'll take that as a compliment. Um, but I got a hand that's had me thinking for a couple of weeks now. So as ever, Alex, I'm just going to read this out verbatim. Uh, okay. So Alex has talked about 4-2 flush boards being very misunderstood. So I was playing in a home game and this hand came up. I'm doing my best to recreate and remember bet sizing, but I don't. I know it's not exact. The players in this home game are generally limp heavy, uh, lots of calling pre-flop and play unreasonably sticky post-flop. 
Villain in general is almost never folding to any raise pre unless it's six, seven X. Uh, three, four X sizing is going to get him calling his whole limp range. We are playing sixty-six big blinds, effective stacks. Uh, 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 I'm sorry, how many? Sixty-six okay. big blind, effective stacks versus villain having piles. <laughs> yeah. I, I I don't yeah. I hope that's not a medical thing, but yeah. Um, uh, Blinds are 300-600, no ante, 10-handed, and Hero is on the button with Ace-King off, uh, no spades, which is relevant. Pre-flop, early position limps, villain in middle position, plus two limps, uh, Hero raises to 1900 and just uh, villain just calls. What were the blinds? The blinds were 300-600, no ante. And, oh, um, okay, so first off, you make it you make it three x when there's two limpers. Was pre flop uh, early position limps villain in middle position two limps hero raises to nineteen hundred. All right, let's bump this up to three thousand three thousand six hundred next time. So okay, anyway, continuing. Okay, and just villain calls heads up to flop in position pot is fifty three hundred flop is queen of spades ten of spades seven of spades. Villain checks. I bet twenty four hundred. Villain raises to fifty two hundred. Hero calls. Pot now fifteen thousand seven hundred. Turn is a four of spades. Villain bets six k. Hero calls. Pot is twenty seven thousand seven hundred. River is three of hearts. Villain checks. Hero has twenty six thousand five hundred left and bets seventy five hundred. So, first of all, I hate my river sizing, that's clear. On the flop, since this was something me and Alex had talked about, I was anxious to play the spot, so I call. On the turn when the spade comes and he bets, I call knowing that he is never battling anything but nuts on the river. There are definitely some checks to induce, but I don't think he wants to lose the value, so I think he bets the ace of spades more than he checks. When I plug this into flopzilla... I have 30, 38% of his range being nuts and second nuts, and 44% if he's calling with third nuts. So this is unfolding 56% of his range minimum, which includes sets, all two pairs, pair, and miss straights, and a couple of small flop flushes. So am I safe to assume we want to use bet sizing that maximizes folds, i.e. shove, since the shove only has to work 50% of the time, and we know he's folding more than 50% of the time? Um, I don't know if you want to pick up from there, and then I can read out the rest. Yeah, Lauren, why don't we pick up there? It's a lot, it's a lot, Just yeah. when so. they, I think I'm out, they drag me back <laughs> yeah. in. No, yeah. uh, okay, let's go over First off, we can raise a little bigger uh, pre-flop, uh, just to make sure we get a heads up with one guy. But, okay, we got a heads up with one guy, so that's good. On the flop, it was queen of spades, ten of spades, seven of spades, and he specified he does not have a spade in his hand, right? Yeah, I, I this is one of those boards you just missed, and it, it's like it is a hardy miss. It is it is very likely for your opponent to have something there. There is, I mean, whenever there's a Broadway card in a ten, there's just a plethora of straight draws and gut shots, and now you also have the flush draws to contend with. You don't. I think your best move here was to check, give up. I I, I think your best move there was check, let the guy take a pot, and this. Looks very weak on the surface, right? But this is the thing. When I see a guy three-bet preflop and check give up on a bad board for him, that's usually the highest stakes player at the table because they understand money saved 
is just is just as good as money earned. And this is something Gene Simmons pointed out. This is kind of off topic. He goes, actually, money saved is worth a lot more than money earned because let's say the tax rate is 50 percent. You're going to need to make uh, or whatever it is. Right. You're going to need to make a yeah. dollar. Uh, you're going to need to make two dollars to get one dollar back again. So the one dollar saved is worth two dollars earned. And I was my head exploded at how intelligent that was. But yeah, anyway. So like, yeah, the money saved pays is just as good as paying. It is just as good at paying for the dentist appointment for your daughter as the the money earned. Right. So, and, uh, Hey, by the way, I don't know if you have a daughter. It's just, a, it's a, it's a random statement that I make. And, uh, you, when you have a, just a, when you just have a, when you brick, it's okay to check fold once in a while because the next time you see bed and you don't have anything, people are going to think back to that time you just gave up and go, well, if when he missed, he just gave up. He must have something here. You know, I'm going to, okay, I'll let him take this one. And you're probably not even losing anything when you uh, check back this board. You're actually earning something because the, you've already said this guy just doesn't like to fold. So he was very confused when I heard you bet on the flop. So, okay, you bet the flop. He does a very small check raise. You call. Uh, I think you could have even folded to the check raise because that check raise looks pretty suspicious. I know people do this with one pair of type hands, though, so I, I guess you're planning to bluff the gentleman. So, okay, so the fourth spade comes on the turn. He leads out and you flat, which I, I think was good because I, I think the ace of spades there probably doesn't raise. I, I think probably just calls. And then on the river, he checks to you, and I, I agree that uh, a, a river jam uh, usually would be the best play. Or, you know, you can just bet a hardy amount, right, like between 80 to 120% of the pot. I used to just randomize it. Uh, I, I, would, I, would use, I, I would just randomize it with a randomizer or something like that uh, just to make it. Now I just – my default on Poker Stars is 110%. That seems to make a lot of people – Especially since I have a quick select button, it, it really seems to scare the hell out of people. They check to me, and the second they check, it's a 110% pot bet, which is just kind of an awkward amount. But yeah, if you bet the size of the pot there, it needs to work 50% of the time. And like you said, okay, the guy is a, the guy has a good flush 44% of the time. So uh, we, we should be assuming that 56% of the time he folds. But remember what you said at the beginning of the hand, uh, th this guy doesn't like to let go. So I've seen so many sets call on these type of boards, and I've seen uh -huh. so many two pairs call. I've even seen top pair call on these boards, especially uh, I believe this was a home game, or yeah. this is yeah. Home games are a different a different ball of wax. You got to a lot of times you got to play for value. This was what I didn't understand when I was a kid. I played at this home game of these very nice people. To this day, Barry, I have no idea why they let me play. But like the, these people in like their twenties and thirties would have poker tournaments and they would let my 15 year old ass play. Right. And they would, uh, uh, I still don't know why. And, uh, they're all really nice people. We're still friends to this day, but like, I would try to bluff them. They were like, you know, they, they work like, you know, normal tough jobs. Right. And they were just like letting it go. You know, they were like, they were having a couple of beers and they were chilling. I was like trying to run a bluff and they were like, all right, kid, let me see. I got a 10. What do you got? Good game. You know, like, and, uh, I, I feel, I, I feel for my friend here, Lapong, 
Because I, I feel like he's trying to do that, you know. I, I feel like, you know, he knows it's a good play, but he also knows it's probably not going to work here. So he kind of splits the difference and makes it, you know, makes a very small bet here, which is probably going to get called about 100% of the time, you know. So you're really just like, here, here, buddy. I, yeah. I, I, haven't, I haven't butchered this hand enough. Take a little more money, you know. And then uh, I, I, I think I – I can tell all the pieces are there. It, all everything you're talking, you. I, I really liked your line after the flop call. I really like. This is a very advanced play. Uh, up until the river bet, this is a very advanced play to like pretend you have the flush and just call there. Especially, it's really executable. In a, uh, it's much easier to execute uh, when you're in a home game because sometimes you can just read on the face that the guy didn't like the fourth spade, but uh, you're going to have to, you're going to, you're going to have to also remember this is a home game. And a lot of times uh, people just don't want to fold. And it is, it is a sign of mastery to understand when the fight cannot be won. Right. Mm. And uh, that's just discretion at times can be the better part of valor. So, you're, I, I think probably your best play there was to check back and then just fold uh, later on. Uh, like if you check back there and the four spade came on the turn, he looked like he hated his life and you called turn and you bet river. I, that would have been interesting as well. But at the same time, this guy just doesn't like to let go. So you have to mercilessly value bet him. There was uh, in my heads up match last night, if you, can wa- uh, if you guys want to watch, twitch.tv slash the assassinato if you subscribe for 4.99 a month you can watch all the broadcasts that we reference on here going back for the last like six weeks and uh i was heads up with a guy and barry i got this guy down to like 10x like 14 times he just wouldn't die but yeah and eventually he ran uh he had pair over pair on me he had it I had, I'm still a competitive jackass. Like, I get so pissed off about this, even when it's a small tournament. But, yeah, anyway, he ran ace-eight through my ace-jack for the win. I was like, nice. But uh, if you watch that heads-up match, like, all I do, the kid just doesn't want to fold to me. So you'll see me just check give up a lot of boards, right? There's just a lot of boards. I'm like, well, there it goes, and that's it. And what I really focused my attention on was some large bets like what he's discussing doing now, which is great, which is why I'm really happy to hear that he's moving in that direction. I think that's where it was best. And a lot of it was just value betting. Like there was one time I value bet fifth pair. No, It was literally like fifth pair on the board was a three, and I had three two, and I mm-hmm. value bet it, and he called, right? And that's, I th- that's kind of how you have to play in home games, right? You're really just looking for what's the thinnest value bet you can get away with in a lot of these situations and you got to get a heads up pre-flop because heads up, they're pretty easy to read. I think you read your guy pretty good here. I think you know that the river bet wasn't a good idea. And yeah. He says, sorry, to jump yeah, in go ahead, go ahead. Just, just the end of the question. It was, uh, does the check <clears throat> on the flop change, change your strategy on the river at all, or just push us to, uh, more towards a bet? Uh, I think it pushes me toward a bet because I think, a lot of times when they do that small check raise, that's I want to find out where I'm at with a 10. Uh, that That's just home game player logic. I want to yeah. find out where I'm at with a 10. Uh, I want to get value from a f- small flush. The problem is if he has like 9-7 of a suit there, 
I, I don't think he folds on the river. I think he gets pissed off he had a flush and he, you know, yeah. seeks justice on the river. So I think I, I, I think you had a lot of good ideas here, and I, I hope I provided some clarification. I, I really like that you were looking at big bats. Like, if you're going to do a bluff, make it a big bat. Make them, you know, make, make them realize how much of this is worth because with these guys, if you bet like half the pot, they just go, oh, whatever, I want to see what it is. Or yeah. I want to see the next card. And I, I think you were correctly starting to identify that. I would say don't don't try and bluff billionaires or drunks at home games. You know? <laughs> <laughs> like, <laughs> That's a good point. Not, neither, neither really fold. Um, okay, uh, next question then is from Chris. Uh, before the money maker effect, I instantly developed a passion for poker. I was instantly successful but failed to parlay up the ladder and it seemed bad timing took over, at which point I took a five-year break. I recently got back into it and started studying again and found my passion had never left. I haven't had the success I've expected of myself to have and it's starting to make me doubt myself. Even with this doubt, there's something inside me that keeps me pressing forward. I guess what I'm asking is, how did you know that this was the route you were meant to take? I'm currently on your chapter you wrote for Jonathan Little's Excelling book and found your insight very helpful. Thank you for your time. Hey, thank you for checking out the book, man. And, uh, excuse me, guys, I was about to cough. Uh, if you, uh, I was about to choke up thinking about my route. In life. <laughs> uh, uh, by the way, I got a new book coming out through the same publishers, The Myth of Poker Talent. Uh, if you want to get updates on that, uh, be sure to sign up for my newsletter at PokerHeadRush.com. You just go to the site, and there's a sign-up thing to the right. You, all you do is enter your email address, and you're good to go. And it's a lot easier than the way we used to do it. And, uh, yeah, be sure, to, you know, be sure to look out for that. There's more coming out. Uh, I, I, to be honest with you, the, honest, the answer is I never knew if this was really what I was supposed to be doing. Uh, when I was a kid, it was just kind of... Uh, I, I don't want to, you know, Doyle Brunson put it in the words of it was a way out of poverty. And that, that's pretty, pretty accurate. Right. It was just but I, I never thought of it as like this is my ticket out. Right. It was just I had a lot of fun playing poker and I made money. And uh, at first it was just a couple dollars and eventually it grew and it was never easy. But the attraction of nobody controlled it. That's the thing you kind of the way I think, you know, if you're good for it is if you're attracted to the fact that nobody controls it. Like if you're attracted to the fact that, you know, it's really up to you. And uh, a lot of people say, Oh, that's BS. There's so much variance, but I, I really do believe that. But in the variance is part of it, right? There's a, uh, and I mean, we'll get, we'll get into that in a second, but I mean, just to give you the honest to God answer, I, I never, you know, I, I kind of, it was just a way, to make money. It was something that was, very, it was always really bizarre to me. I was, you know, one day I was 17 and I was, I, I don't know, like I was living in a garage with no like heating, no plumbing. And, uh, I was playing like $1 tournaments on ultimate bet. Uh, when I was in high school, I was just running games in the back of classes. And it, there was a whole lot of, what are you going to do next year? You're going to go to school. You're going to, and, you know, I'd be the only guy at, like, a pretty well-off school that said, like, nothing. I'm not doing anything, right? And just me and my bum buddies were figuring out what jobs we were going to work. And then, you know, and 
it, it was just a way to like not go up and have to clean fish guts off the f- hull of a ship one day. It was just, it, it, and I never really thought of it much more. And then when I got to, when I got to 19, right. So at like 17, I, you know, that's where I'm at. Right. At 18, I'm like cleaning fish, like literally cleaning fish guts off of a ship hole. I'm working 20 hour days. That's not, that's not hyperbole. That's true. 20 hour days, right? Sleep four hours, wake up and do another 20 hour day, right? If your skipper is kind to you, you work 18 hours, right? And, uh, I, I, uh, or one time, one time in two months, I got, I got to sleep eight hours. One time that was, that was when my nerves were fraying the most. They let me just sleep. And, uh, yeah, uh, at 19, you know, I was hanging out. Uh, I, I, I was in, uh, I was crashing this like million dollar condo in Seoul when I was there. And then I, I had a really nice condo. I was running out in Seattle and I bounced between them. And when I wasn't there, I was playing tournaments in Europe and I had no idea how that happened. And you'd think I'd be really happy, but I, I kind of, I never really thought of, you know, this, it, it, it's one thing to just grow up like playing cards in the back of class, right? You know, like, and it's a, it's a whole nother thing to be a professional. Like if you love surfing, let's say you love surfing, right? Yeah. Every Saturday you go surf. Uh, there, there's a big difference, you know, then you say, I want to go pro. Well, going pro means now you got to talk to sponsors. You got to set up a lot of different meetings with sponsors you have to communicate with them. You're probably going to go to 35 meetings before you get one job. You get one job. Now you got to work with people. Maybe you don't. And a lot of times surfers don't have necessary people skills, right? And this was certainly my case in poker. Now you got to work with uh, a sponsor, and the sponsor is going to be taking a, taking a bite out of your prize pool, and uh, whether you're a surfer or whatever, right? So now you got to you got to work with the sponsor. You got to get into these tournaments. You got to perform in these tournaments. You got to get your sponsor paid. You also have to, you have to, you know, figure out how you're going to get your specific board all the way to Thailand. You got to figure out whether the expenses to go to Thailand are worth it. You got to figure out where you're going to stay. When you get there, you're going to have to figure out, you know, everybody else is going to be doing drugs and screwing around. You got to figure out how you're going to keep your head on straight. Uh, there's going to be people that backstab you. There's going to be people that generally don't like you. There's going to be people that kind of come at you for no reason that you can discern. And then you're, you're going to find out, like, uh, you know, if you're not that top 1%, you're not going to be able to pay your bills all the time. And uh, mm-hmm. so what you're going to have to do is you're going to have to do surfing classes. And, like, teaching surfing classes Monday through Friday is a lot different than going to surf on Saturday, right? And it, it goes for a lot of these things, like playing video games seems like it'd be really fun. Then you're training 16 hours a day in Seoul to play the new StarCraft II for 23000 a year. It doesn't seem all that glamorous. I just read an interview with uh, uh, the, the lead singer of the Deftones, which is, uh, are just Deftones. They, they're one of my favorite bands, and uh, they're extremely successful. And they said, like, hey, man, if we don't tour – you know, 120 days out of the year minimum, like we don't pay our bills, right? Mm-hmm. Like, so, you know, people are telling me, I want to be a musician. I want to be a musician. They don't know that means, you know, packing into a car and, you know, just being broke a lot of the time. So you can go home and pay your bills and be broke again while you make the album. And that's just kind of how it works these days. 
And poker, I'm sorry to say, is a lot like this now. There's a lot of anytime there's not as much, there's less money than there used to be, and there's a lot of people that want it. And there's a lot of people where the money means a lot more to you, uh, a lot more of them to them than it does to you. Excuse me. So like you know, there's a one of my students is Filipino, right? He's uh he's very well educated. He's very hardworking. You know, what? he's hard harder working than all of my kids. Because, you know, if he makes $3,000 a month, he owns the Philippines, right? If you make $3,000 a month in, well, actually in Sweden, I don't know how much money that is, right? Because a beer is $20. So I, I don't know how much money that's really going to be worth. So to a lot of these guys, the rewards are more palpable than it is, uh, than, than it will be to you. And if you don't have that fight in you, it's, it's going to be really hard to make it, but here's the thing you need to be attracted to, and I think if you're attracted to this, you're, I, I think if you're attracted to these two things, you're going to make it, which is meritocracy and study, okay? Now, here, here's something, here's one caveat. There's going to be a lot of people in poker that are, every time you go to a 10K tournament, I want you to take a good look because those are the luckiest people in the game, and that's not an exaggeration. Nine times out of a ten, if a guy has made it there, it's because he has been extremely lucky, okay? And that goes for myself as well. Very early on, I probably had some success, which I had no business having. I got a backer to put me in, and just like that, I was. and it wasn't until I failed and failed quite consistently uh, on certain years that I really realized I had to step up my game. And a lot of guys fail and they never, they don't have the fight. They don't come back. They, uh, mo the average, uh, year, the average like career for poker players is about three years. And this really goes, if you go through the rankings year after year, if you read the rankings updates in pocket fives, go to pocket fives and like check out there. There's a section with the rankings update. Just read through them one day and just look at all the names that you have no idea where they are now. Just over and over. There's very few guys that have lasted the whole, the whole rodeo so far. And there's a, in uh, the thing you got to realize, like I go to PokerDope.com one of these times, and uh, it's essentially, it's a variance calculator, right? So one of these things that I did is I put a guy into the Sunday Million with a 20% ROI, and I had him play the Sunday Million every Sunday for 10 years, right? This was at the behest of I was making a webinar uh, called Backing the Webinar uh, for MTT Market, which essentially we were doing a public service announcement on variance and how to, uh, uh, how to offset it with it, some financial instruments, which, uh, you know, it, which full disclosure does benefit MTT Market, but it does, I think we prove in that webinar really helps everybody involved. And you can check that out if you just put MTT Market Webinar, Alex Fitzgerald on Google. It'll be your first result. You can watch that. It's free. But they, uh, uh, you know, we did that. And what we found out was a guy with a 20% ROI plays the Sunday Million for 10 years. 56% of the time, he doesn't turn a profit. But 1% of the time, he makes 350000 And that means he's effectively won the tournament twice right, in 10 years, and that's one guy out of 100, that's not one guy out of 1,000, right, that's one guy out of 100, right, 
all you ever see in Bluff Magazine, uh, in All In Magazine, on TV, at these tournaments is that 1%. You don't see the 56% of guys that had to quit at some point because they just didn't have $215 a week to lose, right? And here's the thing that drives a lot of people crazy. Let's set that to 40%. Let's give you double the ROI that the guy with 350 k profit had. There's still a 50% chance you're not making money over 10 years in the Sunday Million. Over 10 years, you will not make a profit with twice the ROA of the guy who effectively won it twice. Now, a lot of people, the 40% ROI player a lot of times sees the 20% player at the tip of the iceberg who has 350k in profit, and he thinks, I want a little of that. So he starts imitating the moves of the 20% player, not realizing it's eroding his ROI, right? And uh, there's a lot of that going on. There's a lot of that. And uh, if you can't handle the fact that a lot of the guys you're going to be dealing with are at that 1%, if, you're, if you can't handle the fact that it's unfair, uh, you have no business playing poker. Because you know what's really unfair is the fact that anyone gets to make a living at a game. The, what's really unfair is being able to make $30,000 a year pretty comfortably anywhere on earth, right? Anywhere on earth you could make that. You could uh, imagine that kind of money in a lot of – there's a lot of Latino countries that are, you know, they're very first world, but $30,000 a year is still a fortune. When I lived in South Korea, the average – this is an extremely first world country, Right. But the average salary uh, in South Korea is something like $480 a month, right? So I was sitting there making 2K, 3K a, a month from cash games, and I, you know, there was no taxi that was too expensive. Food was really cheap. I had a nice apartment. And who else gets to do that? There, it's not like if you went there and became an English teacher, they're going to pay you 3K a month. How else are you going to? be able to travel the world and make money while you're there. Or like uh, a very first world country that I was blessed enough to visit was Hungary. And it was, it, it was very cheap. Everywhere I went was really cheap. And people were hype, you know, super nice. And the thing about poker is I was thinking, you know, Malta's kind of pissing me off. Maybe I'm going to move here. You know, maybe, uh, maybe I'll move here. And I, I, I could do that, right? That's something you can do with poker. You can make money. This is what you have to be attracted to. One, the only person that re decides your success is yourself. I, I do not consider the variance is the tax. Like, and I'm, I'm sure a lot of people have heard that, like, oh, variance are taxes, whatever, Alex, right? No, it is the tax. Because, see, here's the thing. The kid yesterday I played heads up with in this tournament, he made some mistakes. He had some – he's – he did some things very, very well, but he made some mistakes. But the great thing about poker is he gets to beat me. He gets to beat me. That's wonderful because when he beats me, he gets to tell everybody, I beat Assassinato. He's from Brazil, so I imagine, you know, it's pretty cool to say, I beat murder, heads up, right? <laughs> and it's stuff like that. And it was like, I beat murder, heads up. Hey, man, that's awesome. And it's a lot of positive reinforcement. Now, I hope he takes that positive feeling and he uses it to improve his game. But what a lot of people do is – they just think those mistakes are awesome, and they keep, yeah. you know, they keep playing that way. And they, uh, and by the way, Barry went and had breakfast during this rant. But uh, <laughs> so, sorry, this is an important question, and uh, th this is super important. But like, uh, 
those are the taxes, right? So some years it doesn't, uh, some years it doesn't go well. Some years it does go well. And, uh, but you're, if you are attracted to just being able to play small games, bread and butter games, playing a lot and having freedom the rest of your day, right? I, a lot of people say like eight hours, my God, dude. Like I used to play eight hours of cash a day back when I was a cash game player. And they said eight hours is so much, right? And I was like, dude, I sleep six hours a night, like eight hours playing. I have 10 hours to explore South Korea or I was in Thailand at one point and stuff like, you know, and, uh, I was in Costa Rica and I, I was in Europe. I was all over Europe. Right. And it was, uh, it, it, it was just a blast. Like life was a blast. Right. But I was focusing on really small games. Right. Mm-hmm. Like the games, like if you want to make a living, like your best shot is playing hundred at L on America's card room with rake back. Like, and I'm not just saying that cause we offer rake back, like literally like hundred L on L on that site is a joke. There's a, actually like they'll limp in, you know, they'll limp call seven X with a seven off and stuff like that. And people are like, poker's too hard. I'm like, <laughs> like, okay. Yeah. Right. And it's like, if you're really attracted to this study and you're really attracted to the fact that nobody controls it. And that means some guy is going to shoot up and make a lot of money. That is part of it. Right. It, you got to realize like if the government controlled this, they would cut that guy down and a lot of people would not want to play poker. Right. Or they would make him, you know, hey, you, you got to pay a little bit more in taxes, right, and help all the guys uh, here, right? You don't want that because you want the guy who's playing bad to make money, and you want the guys that are playing good and not making money to quit. You don't want it to be uh, redistributed. You want the meritocracy of it all. It's brutal, and that's kind of how it is. But if you have other interests, too, this is the other thing. If you like making your own schedule and having your own interests, right, I wouldn't be able to do – like right now, I own a physical therapy clinic and a studio and assassinato coaching, right? A music studio and assassinato coaching. I would never, and I get to read, I pretty much finish a book every four days. And I, I get, I would, and I'm writing 3,000 words a day. And uh, I would never get to do any of that stuff with a typical job. If I was working in nine to five, I would be exhausted every night I came home. And I could never do this. So poker is a perfect fit for me because there's a lot of stuff I want to do. If I want to make a lot of money and I don't really have other projects in my life, it's much better to take the nine to five job somewhere, right? And just work your way up the corporate ladder. If you're not able to eat the crap that they feed you at in a corporate culture, then poker is a little bit more of a fit. But you're going to have to approach it extremely disciplined as if you were an athlete, right? And that's when it's going to bring everything else out. That's when it's going to really work. And uh, also, yeah, just one more thing. I, w- I want to tell you a hand from last night to illustrate why you guys should be playing on America's Garden. Room. I opened under the gun 12.5K. Uh, blinds are 2.5K, 5K. We're talking about how soft America's Card Room. This just made me think of it. I make a 12.5K. It comes around to the big blind. Uh, he has... Uh, I well anyway he has about 180 thousand he makes it 30k I jam 180k we're on the final table bubble of the 4k guaranteed on there uh, he calls off with Jack Nine offsuit so if you're <laughs> if you guys are, in fairness you had Jack K uh, no I, 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 I had eights I had eights he turned the Jack <laughs> so it was a pretty good call but uh, right. if you guys are ever worried about where am I going to make money at poker like. Uh, 
you know, you're going to have to play the odd duck hours, you know what I mean? Later at night or, uh, you know, during the Pacific Rim schedule or something like that. But yeah, uh, get on there, 27% rake back and start getting three bet called by Jack nine and see how that goes, you know, play with the, play with the kids from the sports book. And uh, that's that's a good way to finish this show on. Uh, if you do want the 27% rate back with, from America's Card Room, click on one of the adverts or banners on com and just sign up for your account that way. That's all you need to do. There's no and bonus it make code. It, no bonus code. Yeah, yeah and it, does, it makes a huge difference, doesn't it? As you say, if you're playing, you've got that 27%. If you're playing for a living, like cash especially. and Oh, my God, what, dude. It, it's quick and racking up, you know, even at 100 NL. Right, yeah. right. It definitely is. And it's a, well, I remember at 100 NL, I had a rake back check of like 2 or 3K one month. I can't turn off my cell phone. Sorry, I don't... Nobody calls my cell phone. What? Remind me? Does that turn it off? Yeah. Okay, great. Sweet. Okay. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know how to work my smartphone. My wife got it for me. I still I still don't know how it works. But, yeah, okay. Cool, man. Cool, yeah. Okay, Alex, how can people get in touch with you? Uh, it's time for your plugs that everybody waits for in the podcast <laughs> at the end. So uh, how can people get in touch for in-depth coaching, and help you know how they can make their journey a little bit smoother and and I think just another touch on that question it's important Alex touched on it if you make 30k from poker and you're living in a country where that goes even further I mean you're successful don't let these like one EPT winner on a magazine make that's you right. think you're not successful that's right you know? that's so, right well yeah you also get to like one last like I know it sounds amazing like oh my god this guy's got this clinic and he's got this studio and stuff like that if this were the United States, like to do that here in Costa Rica, like the business permits take one day and like yeah. you rent the property, you do a few mods, a guy comes through and he goes, okay, good. Right. Looks, looks healthy. Looks sanitary. You know, I'll, I'll come check in and it's very sensible. Right. If I was trying to do this in the United States, I'd need like $200,000. Right. Yeah. So yeah. like you get to pretend like it, I essentially feel like I'm playing Grand Theft Auto, like when they're buying all the businesses and stuff like that, because it just feels like play money, how cheap it is here, right? And it's amazing. But yeah, yeah, man, if you're making your money, Costa Rica is my favorite as far as like first world, uh, a lot of first world amenities for third world prices. So yeah, anyway, come on down here. Give me competition so I can stomp you out. So anyway. Uh, yeah, how do people get in touch? Yeah. Well, if you guys want the free stuff, like I know a lot of these plugs are like pay for stuff. If you want uh, the free stuff, just sign up for the newsletter at pokerheadrush.com. And I, I write a lot of different articles throughout the week. Like I had one come out on All In Magazine recently. I have a bunch come out on the America's Cardroom blog. I, I posted one on my uh, I, I posted one on my blog, and then I write also to you guys privately. This is a collection of everything, right? So. so every week you'll get one strategy article delivered to you. Sometimes it'll be two or three or four and all the new deals and all this stuff. I give deals exclusive uh, to the subscriber list. And you also get the strategy articles like three weeks, uh, sometimes a month ahead of time before it comes out uh, elsewhere. And uh, also be sure to sign up for card runners, use promo code Fremont, all capital letters to get two months access to 2000 plus videos. I got my W Coop review series going on there. It's been very popular. Every video has been rated four or five stars. Uh, learn how to use Card Runner ZV, Flopzilla, all that good stuff. Uh, if you want to write me about private lessons, write me at assassinoutcoaching@gmail.com. My autoresponder should answer pretty much all your questions if you click the link. 
but I'll be sure to read your email. And if I see anything that you asked me about that wasn't in the email, I'll either answer you – that wasn't in the email I sent to you. I'll either answer you there or uh, we'll send it to Barry and uh, we'll answer it here, right? And uh, yeah. uh, also, uh, yeah, sign up for America's Card Room. Get that 27% rig bag called by Jack Nine off for the tournament. And uh, if you guys do that, I, I do have a way I thank you guys. I have these uh, I have these recorded seminars of mine that are like four hours long with gorgeous PowerPoints and hand history uh, examples. And there's a lot of very high stakes players like quizzing me on every concept. So it gets, it gets very comprehensive. You want to learn about donk betting, three betting, check raising, uh, raise folding, pre-flop. We have webinars for all of those topics. Uh, all you got to do is sign up and then write me at assassinatocoaching at gmail.com with your sign-in name, your screen name, and your email address. And once we verify that you made a deposit, uh, we'll go ahead and send you a copy of You Flat Too Much, That's a Check Raise Fool, Why Pasegno is, fr- is Right, are dissecting the dog bet. Uh, and if you sign up on, t- if you go to twitch.tv slash the assassinato, you can read more about all those products. And uh, just sign up for the Twitch stream. You don't have to subscribe. You can put it on, you can make it a favorite and then turn email notifications on. You'll get an email notification uh, every time we're streaming. Uh, this week on Sunday night, the, since we last spoke, there's been a, there, there's been like sweats with, uh, uh, with commentary on Sunday night, Monday night, uh, and last night, right? And I would have gone Tuesday night if, uh, something came up, but let, the week before that we had shows Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, right? So you just tune in and, you know, we talk poker, we talk. Uh, a lot of different stuff. It's uh, it's my poker show. It's really fun. It's the one I do individually without Barry's Barry making me laugh my ass off all the time. Barry, <laughs> Barry brings the humor. I bring the fake humor and uh, hopefully some of the knowledge. But yeah, uh, I, I think that's about it. Oh, check out the battle, guys! Please, please, please check out the battle. And if you enjoy it, leave a comment, like it, all that stuff. It has 51 likes. And like one dislike so far. One of them is one of them is mine. Oh it's right. Not the dislike, not the dislike, <laughs> but the, the one of the like. I told you I did. I opened it and liked it, that was and cool. I had it on my phone as open, but I I haven't watched it yet. I, it's better than me saying, "Oh yeah, I watched that." I no, I, 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 I always, <laughs> people always I are always caught off guard, like in business meetings. I go, "No, I didn't read it." Right. Like, yeah. and then, and then they're like, "How could you say that?" And usually the head guy who's like he's just so happy to move on that yeah. he, he's like, yeah, whatever. Okay. So yeah, let's go to the, let's, let's get out of here. Yeah. So keep your questions coming in for the next show. Questions at one com on email or post them in the Facebook group or on Twitter at one com at O N E O U T E R D O T C O M. And we will get them read out eventually on an episode. Thanks for listening. And we'll see you all again next episode. Cheers. Cheers. Every day at America's Card Room, players just like you are scoring big in record time with Jackpot Poker. Jackpot Poker is a super fast three-player online poker set and go. You pick the buy-in, and after all three players are seated, we randomly pick the jackpot. Yep, just three players. No more, no less. And for most jackpot poker tournaments, it's winner take all. Imagine turning a $40 buy-in into the ultimate $100,000 game of poker. Anything could happen with jackpot poker. Play it now at America's Card Room.